Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. My husband is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I say that unequivocally and mean it. He is my most tangible proof that God is wild about me. However, our first year of marriage was a little rocky. We had moved from Japan and were living in San Diego, which with its beaches, zillion dollar homes, and perfect weather, frankly, felt nothing like home, my piece of Texas that I loved. I felt far away from anything familiar, and the one person whom I had to rely on was really kind of ticking me off. We didn't get married that late in life, but it was later than most of our friends and was enough time to accumulate plenty of baggage and develop a lot of bad habits. We were also used to calling our own shots. We had a lot to learn about teamwork. We had gotten away with a lot in the years leading up to one another. Intensely in love, but broken prideful, selfish, and immature. We were bad at marriage. We were missing each other, like parallel train tracks never quite crossing paths, and we were fighting a lot. It was a lonely time for me. Not one single thing in our marriage was coming easily. Our apartment was next to a couple's who only visited twice a year, meaning it was primarily empty, and I remember being so thankful that we did not share walls with anyone. Our marriage did not need a witness. After an awful fight the night before, one day I texted my husband, letting him know that I would not be coming home after work, something he would never do. I didn't know where I was going, but it wouldn't be anywhere near him. Has anyone else ever noticed that premarital fights are romantic-seeming? You forgot to take out the trash. Again? Oh, you but there is nothing romantic about crying in an empty library and Googling if proper etiquette says you should return wedding gifts if you only stayed married eight months. I taught middle school at the time, so after school let out, I went home and packed a bag of essentials and went downtown to just walk around. I didn't have a plan yet. I needed fresh air. I walked around with a knot the size of my fist where my heart should have been and tried not to draw attention to myself as I cried looking for a hotel that didn't cost too much but wasn't scary. Downtown, there were always people asking for money, holding up their signs. And this time, as I walked the streets avoiding my life, for the first time ever, I felt a kinship with those people and their signs. The signs that touched me the most were the ones that said, need help. I needed help, and I felt pretty homeless, so I did something I'd never done before. I sat down next to someone who was asking for money. Her sign said, we all need grace, anything helps. The word grace caught my attention. I'd never seen that one before. I assumed she was a believer, and she had on Wrangler jeans, too much eyeliner, and had teased her hair, it seemed. And all of these things reminded me of home, so I liked her right away. 
I happened to have a pocket full of quarters because I would sometimes bribe my unruly students with them, and she had a little dog with her, so it was easy to sit down and make conversation. The dog provided a risk-free audience, and my pocket full of change was insurance that I had at least a little something to offer. With my hand out for her dog to sniff, I knelt down beside her and eventually put my back up on the same wall she was leaning against. When she saw I was getting comfortable, she looked at me and said, Hey, honey. I smiled, probably a bit wearily, and asked her how she was doing. She said, I'm hanging in there. How are you, honey? And for some reason, maybe it was her jeans, maybe it was that she called me honey, probably it was her dog, I told her the truth. I can't explain why it felt right to share the intimate details of my life, but I told her that I wasn't sure my marriage was going to make it. I told her I didn't understand how two people could love each other so fiercely and yet hurt each other so deeply. I told her that I was lonely and that I wanted to go home. I told her that my mom's house smelled like roast and that was where I really wanted to be. I told her I wanted to start over, a redo. I needed a redo. She let me talk for a while. She stared at her shoes the whole time. She didn't say a word. But when she looked up, Her eyes were filled with tears, and they told me that she understood exactly how I felt. Her eyes told me that everything that I had just said was part of her story, too. And she hugged me. It was kind of awkward after that, because I didn't know what to say anymore, and it seemed that she had committed to not saying anything. Maybe somewhere along her journey, she had learned that that was best. So I reached in my pocket, and I gave her a handful of quarters. She took them and patted me on the knee. I talked to her dog a little bit, and then I said I should probably get going. As I stood up, she asked me my name. And when I told her, she said she would pray for me. The person asking for change was going to pray for me. My eyes welled up, and I asked her her name. Ruth. Her name was Ruth. I told her I would pray for her, too. And as I walked away, she said, The answer's in grace, honey. Second chance, it's just a name. You can't ever run out of chances, honey. You're not the only one who needs a redo. We all do. That husband of yours, too. And then something completely supernatural happened. Immediately after I shared the wall with Ruth, I stood up, turned around, and walked the exact path that I had just walked, except this time facing the other direction. A completely different view was in front of me, seeing the exact same objects from the other side. There's no doubt that my different perspective was divine because, trust me, I have some very impressive biceps for carrying grudges. But all of a sudden, I wasn't angry. Not only was I willing to go home and forgive my husband and ask for his forgiveness too, but I was actually excited too. I raced to our tiny apartment to try to make it as homey as possible in there before he got home. I tidied up, I lit candles, I put on our favorite music, I made a roast. And even though there was no way to explain my heart, I prepared what I would say when my husband walked through the door. I I would tell him that while I was vacuuming, I heard Dr. Phil say that every relationship needed a hero and that I really wanted to be our hero. And I didn't know how to do that, but I promised to keep trying to learn. And then I would tell him that I made a new friend. Her name was Ruth, and she told me something about how second chances weren't really second chances. And I think that second chances might just be where our story starts. And I'm ready to start again. Because we all need grace. From the window, I watched him walk up our stairs, expecting me to not be there. He was holding flowers upside down with the blooms all wrong. 
Were they just in case? He opened the door to our home that smelled like love and me standing there sheepish. He was thrilled to see me, and he couldn't hide it. He dropped the flowers on their heads and scooped me up. And even though we were in this awful fight and no reconciliation had happened, there was something about seeing each other in that moment that made us forget it all. We grinned, knowing that there was a lot of work to do, but also knowing that together we would do it, whatever it was. Our grins turned into nervous laughter as we hugged with a junior high type of vulnerability, and to this day, he still doesn't know about Ruth. I never had a chance to tell him. And the whole thing, the whole story, reminds me of the prodigal son, the son who came back with a speech prepared. And in Jesus' longest parable, he leaves out none of the details of what it costs to love. And I find myself in every part of the story because I've taken too much of what wasn't ever mine and lived in excess just to realize that I had it all wrong. I've worn my righteousness on my sleeve, but not in my heart. I have focused on how the love in my life was packaged, concentrating only on presentation, and rejected the beauty of struggle. I've insisted that no one should need a second chance, and that pretending to have it all right was actually the more beautiful way. And I have returned home with lengthy speeches prepared, just to be scooped up by a lover who didn't even care to hear. I have found that if God's desire is for a relationship and the seeking person is honest and prayerful, then the Holy Spirit will lead them into that relationship. God's will, the Holy Spirit, led me home that day in San Diego. Living in a college town as a mentor to college girls, I can't count how many girls want to know if they should marry the boy they're with, they should break up with the boy that they're with, I get called on for relationship advice more than anything else. With an honest and prayerful person, just like the Spirit will lead into a relationship He desires, with an honest and prayerful person, if He doesn't desire it, He will lead them out of it. And I feel my only job is to help these girls be honest. So, I simply do not give relationship advice because relationships are terribly complicated. I do not give relationship advice to the girls who come asking because in all situations that we remain honest and prayerful, we are being led by God. And how he is drawing his people near, I could simply never know. As an occasional mentor, I trust most of all our great counselor. I do not believe that God hides his heart when we seek him. And we shouldn't hide ours. Like the prodigal son, I believe we're called to work through our pain with a good, good father. Healing and wholeness, it may seem even more unbearable than trauma, but like the youngest son, we come home and rejoice in the ongoing change God is working in our hearts, no matter how long it takes, no matter how much it hurts. We come home and are scooped up by and are continually drawn near. From the book of John, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is my friend Emily. We have been friends for 20 slash 2 years. She is passionate about growth, writes neatly about messy things, and always, always tells the truth. Hi Emily. Hi. 
So you and I were sorority sisters just, yes. you know, a few short decades ago. <laughs> and um, what's great about this meeting today is that we did not know each other well in college. No, we didn't. And it is only through uh, Facebook and you sharing your beautiful writing that I feel that I have really um, gotten to know you and see your heart and soul. And it has been so beautiful to behold. So in a way, this feels like a new friendship mm -hmm. that is actually an old friendship. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, but it, it's so much so an old friendship. I was sharing with you when I first arrived that um, I kind of got into a, a scary bathroom situation at the CVS on the corner. I was going to the bathroom before I got to your house. And um, one of those situations where I could not wait five more minutes. <laughs> and... Um, I kind of got into this like long, dark hallway um, with a man that frankly just kind of put me at um, unease. Mm -hmm. And it, I, I have an active imagination. And so I kind of went to a dark, scary place of like um, something happening in that hallway. And, and I was envisioning, I know you're like getting pictures into my <laughs> pathology, um, but, um, but I was picturing like something awful happening and me like saying, just take me to my friend's house. Exactly. Like I'll figure out the rest. Just take me to my friend's house. Yes. And it was just this sweet little thought of, I know that I could call you in the middle of the night. We haven't spoken so long, but, um, you absolutely could. Yes. Um, and I have to, um, as you said, the friendships, like you reconnect on Facebook after years and years. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, had started writing and the first time I saw a comment from you I was like oh my gosh that I that's so great and you have such a natural way of encouraging people oh and thank you there have been a lot of times when you know my writing is definitely a vehicle for me to process a uh -huh. lot of things um and your encouragement or feedback or just um you don't know how much it has meant oh, and how many times you. it has helped me to think why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing this because other people are hearing it and mm -hmm. um, you were one of those people. So mm -hmm. thank, thank you for you. that. Thank you for saying that. I, um, I am a fan. I am a fan <laughs> of you. yours. Thank you guys you. can um, find Emily's blog at emilyimprovising.com. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Yeah. And um, just snuggle up, get in something comfy <laughs> and just you. curl up and binge read. It's so beautiful. Thank you. But I, I find your writing just very easy to tap into. You're Thank so you. relatable. You are absolutely pretenseless. Thank you. And um, yeah, it's you're just um, easy to read and yet take me deep places. So I'm so thankful for your work. And I'm really excited to sit and talk with you today. I, um, I do have a question for you, though. Yes. Okay, so we didn't know each other that well in college. Mm -hmm. Is that because we are different now? Did we mm -hmm. grow into people that are, um, you know, more inclusive or more further reaching? Mm -hmm. Did something change in us or is it just happenstance that we just didn't really cross paths? I, well, for one thing, we had a huge pledge class. And so yes. I think that there were a lot of us and it was easy to kind of form these smaller groups um, within that bigger group of people. And so I am one of those people that social media has been such a gift to because I can write and I can share my photos and I can think about things. Um, and I've, I have also grown and become more comfortable face-to-face um, -face with people. But um, I'm, you know, Myers-Briggs, I'm like an INFJ. I love Me people. too! <laughs> it's really rare. <laughs> <laughs> or something. So, yeah, so I love people. 
people, but oh, it takes a lot to move me, yes. you know, into feeling comfortable in person. So if there's, you know, any reason to kind of stay in my own little corner, that's kind of what I did. So similarly, uh-huh. I was an I who had my, my whole life felt the need to pretend to be an E. Really? Yes. How interesting. And I am not an E. <laughs> and there's something about that test that just allowed me, it, there was such mm-hmm. freedom in reading, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not a total jerk for not wanting to exactly. go to the party. Right. I'm just an introvert. Yes. Or this J or this P in my life didn't wake up trying to annoy me. Right. Right. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> They're just it's a so P. Helpful. Right. That's just the way they process things. Yes. And, and also that, you know, learning that what is going to charge your batteries. So I love people. I love being around them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a teacher and spent a lot of my time in front of people. And at the end of the day, don't talk to me. Right. And that's Talked okay. It's, yeah. And then there are other people who kind of have the same feeling when they've had to be alone for a long stretch of time. Absolutely. They're like, get me around yes. people. It doesn't matter. So yes. yeah, just recognizing our difference, um, what gives us energy and what takes it away. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, I went, I, I was on a silent retreat. Uh-huh. And, uh, which is my heaven. Oh, uh, yes. Heaven is my like giant <laughs> silent retreat. <laughs> and I was there with a woman, who, and I just love a body. I love the body of Christ because her gifts are so different than mine. But she came to me to the end, and she was like, oh, I do this because it's a discipline, but I am going crazy. <laughs> And I'm like, well, you go crazy somebody somewhere else because... <laughs> because I'm glowing right now. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, that's um, great. Okay, I want to... I found this quote, and it made me think of you. I want to share it with you. Oh, rats. Who's it from? I think it's Oswald, Cham- Oswald Chambers. Okay. Okay, but it says, there's no such thing as a private life or a place to hide in this world. For a man or woman who is intimately aware of and shares in the sufferings of Jesus Christ... God divides the private life of his saints and makes it a highway for the world on one hand and for himself on the other. And I think of us and the things that we didn't share Mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. And I think of us now sitting across Mm -hmm. this table and all that we're able to share with ease. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of that is due to a maturity spiritually to be able to understand this exactly, which is that my hurting isn't helpful mm-hmm. if I'm not able to share it and yeah. let others know how Christ has healed me or yes. is healing me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I feel like your work um, is mm-hmm. such a wonderful example of this too. You Thank just you. lay your life out and let mm-hmm. others walk with you. And and it's it's a wonderful thing. Our lives are not our own. Thank you. No, I, I do not have a sense at all that my life is my own. And I try to honor that at the same time that I respect the privacy of the people around me. But, you know, as far as my world and my life, I'm pretty much an open book. Yeah. I feel like that's what I'm called to be. Yeah. So. Good. Well, that being said, um, in recent years, you have gone through a divorce. Yes. And um, you have been as open as you could be about that. And you have, um, you know, let the people who love you walk alongside you in very beautiful ways. And then, um, and you've gathered great spiritual meaning out of it, too. Um, So since we were in college together, Mm -hmm. I did know that you got married very early. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody walks into marriage assuming Mm -hmm. that um, they're going to get divorced or um, it's probably not exactly forever after. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And so I know that you went into that with, with high hopes and mm -hmm. with um, a great deal of promise. Did you see this coming? Mm -hmm. um, in some ways, the writing was on the wall from the very beginning, um, but in others, it was a complete shock. Um, not shock, I think that's the wrong word, but I think um, I wanted so badly for that not to be part of my story mm -hmm. that I think um, when it actually happened, it was this profound failure um, for me that was very difficult. Um, my ex-husband's parents were divorced. My parents were divorced. Um, so both of us came into our relationship with um, those backgrounds. Um, I definitely, my mother's second marriage was disastrous. And so I came from a home that had, um, you know, uh, addiction and all kinds of dysfunction within that group of people. Um, and I was, I met my ex-husband when I was 16 and he was 18. So it was in that context of this very disjointed, um, unhealthy home life that I met this mm. person and mm. his life was much more stable than mine. Um, and so, but he also could relate because of the you know, his parents divorced Previous and all divorce. that. Right. And so, um, you know, we were, it was almost like our wounds lined up yeah. in a way that we, um, you know, felt like we could help each other, I hmm. think. Um, and so, but when it came time that we decided we were going to get married, I think we both went into it thinking we are not going to be our parents and we are not going to do this. We're not going to do to our children what they have done in our lives. We're not, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not going to be that story. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, for me that played out in, um, you know, following very carefully the preparation process that the church put us through and um, reading all kinds of sort of relationship self-help books about how to um, fighting for your marriage was the title of one and um, several others about how to communicate better and how to um, you know, really uh, I don't think we read A Fair Proof Your Marriage or whatever but it was one of those things it was like mm -hmm. I we are not going to go down that road and I'm going to read every book and I'm going to do everything and check everything off the list for, okay, you have, you have built a solid wall around mm -hmm. this relationship and it mm -hmm. is not going to, it's not going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. Um, I changed so completely over the course of the marriage. Um, I started off when we got married, I was actually about to, I'd been accepted to law schools, and there was this um, sense that he was going to, uh, he had not graduated from college yet, um, but that he would follow me to wherever I chose to go to law school and work, and it was kind of um, this, which is so much more common now, but 20 years ago, it was a little less common for the sure. wife to sort of intentionally be the breadwinner. Sure. Um, and then I got into law school and hated it mm. and um we decided to completely switch gears and had our first child instead and I mm. stayed home with her mm. and wow. um yeah at 22 years old was when I was, got pregnant and I had her when she when I was 23 and he was 25 and he um you know it the roles changed it was much more kind of the traditional um structure I would work part-time um, 
when I worked, a lot of times, I, a lot of years I was at home, um, and we, you know, I really thought that that would somehow keep things okay, that I, you know, we went through a period of time where I would, his schedule required him to get up really early in the morning um, to get to work, and by the time he got home, he was tired, and it was, you know, things just weren't lining up, like that's, mm-hmm. and that happens a lot in marriages where, you know, just the kind of daily schedule doesn't line up for you to spend much time together. So I would start getting up with him really early um, and ironing his shirt every morning. I remember that was kind of what I did. I would iron his shirt and talk to him, and we would have you know at least a few minutes together um, in the quiet before the kids got up and stuff like that. And I really, um, you know, I, I treasured that time, and I wanted him to feel, um, you know, appreciated and sure. supported and all of those things. So I really thought that I had done kind of everything I could do to keep a divorce from coming into our story. Um, but on the other hand, there were all these wounds that both of us had. And some of it was from childhood. Some of it was from kind of a, a misalignment of personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time the separation between our, you know, hearts and minds and souls just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and then at that point I could definitely see it coming Mm -hmm. for probably at least five or six years before it actually did. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like, um, you know, you really put a lot of heart and soul into, um, you know, an insistence. Mm -hmm. Um, but I wonder how many people, um, coexist Mm -hmm. in something, um, poisonous or even potentially dangerous Mm -hmm. just so they can say, Mm -hmm. I'm still married. Right. I, I've definitely struggled with that. Um, I also struggled with my children's role in it. Because I knew, I mean, one of the things that I think you think about when you start to recognize that this might end in a different way than you wanted, you start to think about, well, what is it going to do, you know, to my kids when they have to split time between their mother and father? They, um, I was a very hands-on involved mother and the idea of them spending time outside my care, Mm -hmm. um, uh, it wasn't about control ever, um, or at least I don't think so. I definitely enjoyed kind of knowing what my kids were doing. Um, but also just the, um, you know, who's going to sit with my son while he falls asleep and who's going to remember yeah. that the little one needs to mm-hmm. hold on to something at night mm-hmm. for, um, and so the, the prospect of not being with them, yeah. um, was very hard for me. But I think one of the things that happened was that I started to realize that as much as I was trying to give them a different life than I had had growing up, um, by staying with their father and, you know, making those things, you know, trying to make that relationship work. Um, I realized that the, the way things were playing out between the two of us and the relationship and just between the, the family in general, their environment was every bit as tense Mm. as what I had grown up with. Mm -hmm. Their environment was every bit 
um, as stressful and unhealthy, and I was not really doing them any favors mm. by just staying together. Like mm-hmm. that, that um, I, I think a lot of people really struggle with what is best for the kids. Is it better for them to grow up in the home with an intact marriage that's unhealthy and painful and causes all kinds of damage in that way? Or is it better to say this isn't working and this is unhealthy and we're going to end our common life together um, and then have kids deal with the pain of that? And I don't think that is one of the messy realities. I don't, I don't think that there is a way of knowing exactly which one is better uh, until you're in the situation and then you have to do some serious soul searching yeah. for that. And I, one thing I will There's say, no set formula for weighing no, disaster. No. It's a disaster. Yes. Ugh. You are going to have, I mean, um, I remember in a different context, it, it's going to cost you something. Yeah. And it can cost you this or it can cost you that, and so you, you just have cost. to figure out. You just have to figure out which cost you're will, which price you're willing to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is no one that walks away from that yeah. unscathed. So how did you know it was time to go? Um, well, there were some uh, there were some precipitating events, and I think over the course of time, I started to get to a place where I didn't, I didn't recognize myself in the mirror. Um, and I'm a photographer, so hmm. I look back at photos of myself and there's just this deep sadness mm-hmm. in my eyes mm-hmm. or almost looks like resignation or, mm-hmm. and, um, it became just keeping the peace, just minimum keeping the peace took so much out of me that I was, you know, if you think about like a candle, it was like the slowly, slowly, slowly snuffing out the flame. And, um, I have, faith has always been part of my life. I have practiced it more, um, consistently at some periods than others. But, um, this was one where I really wrestled with, what is God calling me to in this situation? And I, I knew all the Bible verses about marriage being God's plan for, or, or that God grieves over divorce, and there, all, all of the things that I had learned and reminded myself of over the years, all the scriptural reasons to make that relationship primary. And I remember even now. Earlier today, when I was thinking about what we would talk about, um, I remember people or someone saying that in order to have a successful marriage, that you have to die to yourself every day. And I remember thinking to my, like, was that is that what I'm doing? Like this death that I see happening, is that just the process of what it takes to make this kind of long term marriage work? And um, there was this little voice that refused to be silenced that said no no it is not this is not what God made you to be and this is not what you um, are called to endure and you can um, feel sure of God's love 
even if this falls apart. Mm. Um, and so from there, and a lot of um, other people kind of spoke encouragement and support into my life at really critical moments. Mm. And I also have a kind of, in some ways, a little bit of a rebellious spirit. And so I would... You know, the things that made me come alive, like photography, I went. Mm-hmm. I took that from being something that I just did for my own enjoyment, and said, "You know what? I'm going to start doing this for people. I'm going to ask them to pay me to take photos of their families." And I had always been afraid that I, oh, I don't know if I can make a client happy, or I don't know how do you get to know someone in a short period of time. And I discovered that I was actually better at it than I thought, and I. So I would take these things that I know are God's gifts to me and I would invest some time in them and some effort into them and see them start to grow and bear fruit. And that was, to me, what felt like his leading, saying, no, you're not, you, that light in your eyes does not need to go out. Right. It needs to get bigger. Right. Um, and so then the final thing, and I, I would encourage anyone who is in that space of you know, not knowing or thinking about, making that kind of a decision um mental health professionals are Mm. saints Mm. (laughs) walking on earth um i cannot imagine what life would have been like without the help of some really gifted therapists um both for me and for my children um and so i remember there was a one conversation with my therapist where she asked me what is it going to take for you to make this choice that you're um you kind of know things are headed toward what is going to be the thing that helps you decide. And I didn't really have much of an answer for that Mm -hmm. at the time. Um, And then there were some uh, just different events and conversations that were very troubling. The environment in the home was really unhealthy and stressful and tense. And things, just the intensity kept getting higher and higher. And one after one particularly bad night the next morning I woke up before everyone else and it was my 37th birthday and I was drinking coffee and reading the bible and praying um and I woke up knowing that knowing that I was going to ask my ex-husband to move out that day um based on the event that had happened the night before Mm -hmm. and um I was just praying about it and um the verse for that day um, with the daily office I was following at the time. And I, I'm bad with Bible verse, you know. Yes. Um, but it was it was from, um, I think, the Gospel of John about what you're the salt of the earth and what do you do when the salt has lost its flavor? You have to throw it out. Mm. And I've, I felt like that was my sign to mm-hmm. say the salt has lost its flavor mm-hmm. and it has to be thrown mm-hmm. out and so that was how I made my peace with it and mm-hmm. I've never um I have not wrestled with it as yeah. much since then did you feel did you ever feel like God had failed you I can't imagine how mm-hmm. you must have stormed heaven you know on <laughs> yes. behalf of, of this marriage and this union and your mm-hmm. plans mm-hmm. did you ever mm-hmm. feel like he failed you I had a night and it was uh, Thanksgiving weekend um, in Connecticut. So it was, and where we lived was this small town. So it was this dark, you know, black sky with stars and cold. And I remember going out in my driveway and just 
sobbing, crying, and saying, why are you doing this to me? Like, mm -hmm. I am trying everything that I can. Mm -hmm. I, am, I am trying to be obedient. I am trying to somehow salvage this, and it just keeps hurting me more and more and more. Mm -hmm. Where are you? Why are you doing this to me? Mm -hmm. So, yes, I definitely yeah. had those moments, for sure. I can imagine. You know, it's... Um coexisting under the same roof mm -hmm. is not a marriage that's glorifying God. Right. And I can't help but think about, again, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I think it's from Corinthians. One of the two, <laughs> but, <laughs> but Paul is talking about, um, our earthly tents mm -hmm. and we have these earthly tents and, um, and that they're being destroyed but we also have a building from God, this mm -hmm. eternal um, home in heaven that isn't built by human hands. Mm -hmm. And then I think about, you know, Jesus um, mm -hmm. tearing down the temple mm -hmm. and then rebuilding it with himself. Mm -hmm. So there is no one, there is no institution, there is no thing that is outside the redemption of God ever. And I just, right. um, you know, want to say to you as I'm listening to this story, I just trust the Holy Spirit in you. Uh, you know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that you need that from me, but just no, as somebody that's that. never walked this road, um, I would just never um, question that what um, you've heard from that still small voice um, to not be leading you well. You. So um, I love you and I'm sorry oh, that you've had you. to go through that. Um, it sounds um, lonely. Mm -hmm. And, um, and extremely painful, and you're a wonderful mother. Thank you. Um, so what's your hope in these days, Emily? <laughs> um, I hope, you know, I um, was married in the Episcopal Church, and there's a, in the prayers that you say at a wedding, there is one that says, um, make their life a sign that Christ's love can overcome um, despair, you know, that forgiveness can overcome guilt, and, um, it's a, it's a beautiful prayer, I actually wish I had, uh, pulled it out and had it ready, um, but the, I think what I hope the most is for forgiveness, um, mm -hmm. I still struggle to forgive myself, I mm -hmm. still, um, I don't struggle so much to forgive my ex-husband. It's um, we did go to a therapy session um, after we had separated. We went to a couple, and we were sitting there with the therapist. And I remember looking at him and very intentionally saying, "I forgive you. I forgive you." Um, and I meant it, and I still do. And there has been a lot of water under the bridge since then. Um, you know, you deal with someone who's been rejected and someone who's been hurt, and there is no way for two human beings to dismantle something as intimate as a marriage without there being some really deep pain. Um, but I, I do feel a sense of forgiveness for the mm -hmm. things that happened and that got us to this place. Um, and so when I think about hope, um, I hope my kids are okay. <laughs> I hope that they will be able to have healthy relationships mm -hmm. and healthy lives of their mm -hmm. own. 
Um, I hope that by being honest and transparent that they will be able to learn some things. Um, and I hope that I give them a good example of someone who tries to live with as much integrity as possible mm-hmm. and who tries to behave in a way that honors um, God in me and God in the other people mm-hmm. in my life, including mm-hmm. them, including their father, mm-hmm. including everyone I come into contact with. Mm-hmm. So I think that's my biggest hope. And then um, I read a book by Ronald Rollheiser called The Holy Longing, which is such a great book. And there's a follow-up to it called Sacred Fire that is also excellent. Um, and Holy Longing talks a lot about this period of formation in your life where you're making decisions about I'm going to do this and not that Um, I'm going to go here and not there my life is going to be about these things and there's a range of ways to do that within a Christian um, a faithful response to the life that God gives us and all the choices that we have he created us to be these very unique individuals he's kind of a stickler when it comes to free will too exactly exactly (laughs) right like I'm not gonna I'm not just gonna pull you along um, and one of the things I think is, that is so difficult about divorce is that I made those decisions. I made decisions about the relationships that would be primary in my life. I made decisions about career based on being as available as possible to my children because I felt like that was part of the call in my life. And now I'm in a position where I make those choices all over again. And so with a different set of constraints this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that reality has been humbling to try to, in some ways, it's like getting a second chance, which is yeah. good. Um, but when you kind of liked what your first chance was, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> it can be hard to really embrace the yeah. second chance. Yeah. Um, and so just, and also there's this fear, and I think a lot of people would probably have this, that if I got it so wrong the first time, am I going to get it wrong again? Hmm. And so I think that my hope for myself is that I can, I can move past that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, it's easy for people when I said that I haven't, you know, walked this road, I've mm-hmm. absolutely had dark times, yes. um, in my marriage, but, mm-hmm. um, but I've never, um, you know, felt like, it needed to end. Uh-huh. Oh, well, I don't know. The beginning was a little rocky. <laughs> um, but I just, I think that it's um, so important. And I, and I, this is why I, I desperately wanted to have you on. Thank you for agreeing sure. that um, it is possible to love Jesus and to um, allow your marriage to end. Yes. Um, you know, I think that at first you probably held your marriage problems close mm-hmm. to you mm-hmm. and you have um, shined a light on something that, um, probably more people than are willing to admit are experiencing. And so you're brave and bold, and thank I thank you. you. And um, God's plan is often birthed out of the wilderness. Yes, <laughs> yes it is. Yes, it so is. So thank you for sharing your story. Oh, is there anything else that you want to add before we sign off? One thing I started to say just a minute ago about anytime you're dealing with human beings who've been rejected or you know, that it's very painful. Um, I used to teach a class and I would start with an examination of the Cain and Abel story where someone's interpretation of it uh, was that Cain, the original act of violence was committed because 
of rejection, that Cain's offering to God was rejected, and that his response to it, um, rather than to accept it or rather than to try to grow from it, was to lash out. And if you look at any kind of conflict situation, whether that's with physical violence or um, really any conflict at all, look for where the rejection is and you will always find it. Mm. And so I think one of the things that I have tried to do and that I hope to continue doing is to learn how to reject something. As well. you're, I'm sorry, hold yeah. on, I want you to say that again louder but because uh-huh. I, I just interrupted you and that was beautiful. Yeah. But as you're saying that, I'm literally going through like this Rolodex of turmoil in my head and when you say look for the rejection, it's not even hard, Emily. This is amazing. <laughs> Thanks. Wow. It, okay, it, so. it definitely spoke to me yeah. um, when I started thinking about things that way. And But the reality of life is that we, we do have to reject certain things. Um, and we have to reject certain relationships because they are not healthy for us or because they um, introduce some kind of other conflict into our lives or into the lives of the people we care about. And so one of the things that I've been trying to do is to learn how to reject something in the most loving way possible. How Mm. do you add love Mm. to rejection? Wow. And that can be really difficult to do in the context of a divorce, but I think that it transforms um, the experience for everyone if you can if you can sometimes do it and it's one of those things I think that sometimes I do it well other times I don't yeah. um, it's always going to be a shifting sands with things like that mm-hmm. um, but I do think that if that's what I'm going for right. then I'm more likely to at least get close I see people who are so angry um, Mm -hmm. during their divorces, Mm -hmm. after their divorces, years and years later, it can bring up all this bitterness and anger. And I think that if we have a chance of moving past that, of not letting that completely grip our lives, that it needs to come from the place of how can we put love into the rejection of this situation that just wasn't that just needed to die Mm. so it's a tough line to walk Emily you are more beautiful than ever and I knew you at 20 years old (laughs) (laughs) thank you Uh, but the combination of your wisdom and searching is absolutely breathtaking I'm so thankful for you thank you thanks so much My best friend and I certainly don't have all the answers, but that's never stopped us when it comes to matters of the heart from trying to comprehend, evaluate, analyze, apply, and synthesize. Wait, is that Bloom's taxonomy? I knew we were onto something. This is me, my best friend Kristen, and your questions. Hi, Beef and Inner. Hey, Beefy. I just pulled you from your law office and you look spectacularly, professionally beautiful today. Thank you so much. Um, Even traversing across a parking lot when we live on the surface of the sun. We are committed to the podcast and the people. (laughs) Um, Okay, so 
and each other. We are talking about divorce today, and um, you have a lot of experience in this department growing up um, with parents who divorced early in your life, and um, I'll let you do most of the talking, but I always enjoyed being at both of your homes. Your parents did um, a good job of making me feel welcome both places. They would love to hear that. Um, yeah, I think as far as divorce goes, my parents did it well. It's <laughs> a very awkward thing to say, but I mean, I have a distinct memory of when they told me that they were going to divorce. I was four, and um, I can remember that, and I can remember my dad driving away with with stuff in his the back of his truck. Um, but from from there, most of the memories are. Um, just, you know, it was my truth, it was my life, so it wasn't something to, that I noticed as a kid. And I saw my dad always lived very nearby, like within a mile nearby, and I um, saw him every weekend. And my parents did a really, really good job of whatever they were feeling. I didn't, I didn't see anything besides them being friends and um, putting me first. That sounds cliche, but it's just true. And then when I got older, my mom would try to fix my dad up with her friends. So... <laughs> That happened. Totally normal. <laughs> totally normal. It really wasn't until I got married and even more so when I had kids that I realized how grateful I should have been for that. I think mm -hmm. that both of my parents were much happier without each other. Um, and I think that's sometimes something that people say to make themselves feel better, but I think that's true in my case. Um, and then also just as a mother and as a wife, just thinking about how difficult it, that time must have been and that they were able to keep that from me um, and keep my normal normal mm -hmm. um, was just a tremendous gift. Mm -hmm. I have really um, specific memories of being at your dad's apartment and I think it's like he made us dinner. It was the first place I tried Brussels sprouts. And so, oh my gosh. I know. Um, but that like, but that it was a space, not just, you know, for you to go visit him, but it was a space for sleepovers. I mean, it was, it was your house. Home, right. Yeah. It was a home. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he always spoiled me a little bit more than my mom, but I don't know that that was because he lived somewhere else. <laughs> that was just his yeah. personality. Yeah. Do you have any like grown up wounds over it? Do you feel wounded? Um, anyway. I don't know. I don't think about it that much. I mean, I think about different, like, things about parenting and how I don't have, like, a... Since my dad didn't, like, do a lot of the everyday parenting, like, sometimes I think about that I sometimes take the lead in parenting because that mm -hmm. was my model, that my mom did everything. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's not necessarily a wound, but one thing that I can remember thinking about as an adult is like my daughter right now is the age that I was when my parents got divorced and just thinking about her and looking at her and her just sweetness and thinking about me being the same age and carrying a little pink suitcase up the stairs to my dad's apartment while my mom sat in the car. I just can't imagine how heartbreaking that must have been for her. So really yeah, it goes back yeah. to me thinking about how they must have been feeling that I just never ever would have thought about. I just watched, I rewatched Hope Floats the other night and there's this very um, heart-wrenching scene of the little girl kind of chasing after her daddy's car oh as gosh. he's leaving. Oh I think I cried off five pounds. Yeah. It was, oh, well. it was awful. It's so awful. So, um, we have a question from a listener who, um, has already gone through her divorce and it says this, 
my husband and I were members of a church, and now that we are divorced, I do not feel comfortable returning to that church. Are there any tips about how I can worship the Lord again? Um, I can't, I, you know, it's, <laughs> this is always such a ridiculous part of the, yeah. <laughs> of the, of the production to me because, um, these are steps that I haven't walked in and I, um, my heart goes out to you. And the only thing that I, I have zero advice, the only thing that I can think of what I would want is, um, some trusted girlfriends to come alongside me in that. So um, that church or a new church? What would you say? Who cares? Yeah. I can um, totally get wanting to find a new church just to be a new you. Like, yeah. the only thing that I can compare it to, which is ridiculous, is a job. And, like, wanting to reinvent myself professionally and not being able to do that with the people that had seen me in my prior self. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so maybe a new church would be a fresh start where people don't have an expectation of who you used to be or who you're supposed to be, but mm -hmm. just who you are that you decide today. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely, I think church is... Um, a community of believers is the most comforting place that you could probably find yourself right, right. now or put yourself in right now. Right, right. Um, yeah, so uh, maybe uh, a, a different community, a different place to worship, a different parish. Um, and just sharing your story, the nitty-gritty of it, with people to come alongside you in that new space. Yes. Yeah. But don't turn away from church. No, please. No, and thank you. It's a place, <laughs> please and thank you. It's a place for the broken. This is um, a friend of mine who is kind of going through a very messy divorce right now, had a very well-intentioned friend who was rightfully fighting for her marriage, um, quote scripture to her, I think it was in Malachi or something, but it said that, um, that God hates divorce. And um, the way that my, my friend took it, it was, it was painful for her at the, at the time. Um, God, yes, God hates divorce. I hate divorce. You right. probably hate yes. divorce. Everybody yes. hates divorce. Um, but, I th but I think what that verse really gets to the heart of is that the pain that it causes. God hates the pain that divorce causes. Um, but you are cherished. So. Amen. Amen. Okay, signing off. Bye, Beef Knitter. Bye, Beef. And now a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Signs Cleaning. Signs Cleaning, quality commercial cleaning that suits your company's budget. Call 979-260-3160 for a complimentary bid. Signs Cleaning, we don't cut corners, we clean them. And Nightingale Pest Solutions, providing effective, ecologically conscientious strategies that promote healthful and pleasant pest-free environments for homeowners and businesses across the Brazos Valley. Nightingale Pest Solutions, exemplary service, extraordinary care. Lubella's my friend from junior high. She won every science fair there ever was. We lost touch for a while until Facebook intervened. And now that we're reunited, it is all my pleasure to log on and see Lubell win the internet day after day. July 23rd, 2017. I have a 16-year-old neighbor across the street who is going into her junior year of high school. I have known Jillian since she was 10 when we moved in. In the past six years, she has taken out the trash and checked our mail when we are out of town, sold me everything from Girl Scout cookies to gift wrap, baked me brownies for Christmas, and volunteered for Sweets of Hope for her community service hours. 
I've watched her grow into this stunning teen beauty who might or might not have driven her parents' car into our ditch her first week of driving school. The past few months, I have seen the same boy drop her off some weekend nights or after swim practice, and I was confirmed reluctantly from her mother that she was indeed Jillian's first boyfriend, and by all accounts, he was a decent dude. I would smile inside as I caught them sitting on the bench outside her front door, not talking, and just looking at the ground, avoiding the inevitable possibility of a goodnight hug or kiss and I cracked up when I saw him deliver a massive teddy bear the size of a Prius and the same size balloon on her birthday. They were adorable. Last Friday, as my husband and I pulled into our driveway after our date night, I noticed Jillian and the boy sitting on that same bench, and she was crying. He kept holding her hand, and she was shaking her head, and when he got up to get back to his car, she shrugged her shoulders as if to say, what else can I do? And when he drove away, she sat there for what seemed like hours before she wiped her eyes with her shirt, took a deep breath, and went inside. My husband had to pull me away from the front door not to run across the street and wrap her in a hug to say, this too shall pass. As I saw her walk the dog this past weekend, her normal bouncing ponytail down in a hairdo that didn't seem to be brushed, and her mom nodding at me when she, that she will be fine, I desperately wanted to tell her. You are fiercer, stronger, and more beautiful than you think. This is the time to turn to your girlfriends because they will be your biggest advocates for the rest of your days, and their love is like the most resistant armor from the swords of those boys who will one day know better. Even though you might think your mom will just say, I told you you were too young for this, she will surprise you and tell you you deserved better and to wait until someone like your dad comes along. You will say, ooh, dad, and sometime in your 20s, you will completely understand. And lastly, someone stellar who will make you laugh when you least expect it and make you want to strive harder will come out of nowhere and that moment on the bench when you were crying will be a distant memory. But I didn't say that to her. Instead, I baked cookies, walked across the street, and when I gave them to her, I said, this will be a good week. She will learn that your first broken heart is not the end of a fairy tale. It is just the first of many times you realize you are the hero in your own absolutely fantastic make your own adventure story. From the book of Hebrews, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated, as if you yourselves were suffering. I teach at the women's prison in my neighborhood where week after week I learn that they are just like me and I am just like them. I used to think that being married was really hard. Then I got sent to prison. I don't have much more to say than that. Being married in prison is hard. If not, impossible. Everyone keeps telling me that we will come out of this stronger. But it's just a kind lie. We're not stronger. We were married for 35 years before I got locked up. I've been here nine years. I feel such shame for the time I have taken away from us. Time lost 
thrown away. My most common prayer is, please God, if our marriage survives this, please give me the time that I cost us. Just that. Amen. Sweet hour of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you searching and humble and in need of your presence in our relationships. Maybe we need a Damascus road-like experience that transforms our focus. Maybe that focus leads us to restoration. Maybe that focus leads us to separation. Whatever the case, Lord, draw us near. Make yourself known to us. Remind us that true love is kind and patient, rejoices in truth and endures all things with hope. Forgive us, Lord, for our parts and the rifts in our relationships. Help us to seek out the deep work that you want to do in our hearts so that we don't repeat old sins and mistakes, but instead become changed more and more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And for this episode, a special thank you to Seth Sullivan, Emily Page Gordon, Kristen Kelly, Nightingale Pest Solutions, Signs Cleaning, Lubel Cruz Gaelic, Brian Federal Prison Camp, Pamela Anthony Cutright, and Chan Redfield for music. <laughs>